Have you ever thought about all the ways you could die? We have. Grab a drink that's good enough to die for. And let's get gruesome. Welcome to Drinks with Death. Hi, Lovin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, how's it going? We're just so eager tonight, aren't we? We're both just ready to <laughs> we're ready to roll. Yeah, we are. Um, I'm right. really I'm really excited about tonight's subject. I mean, I um, shouldn't say that because I shouldn't say excited because you know every subject is about death. But I just I've said that before too. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so excited, and I'm like, I'm so excited to talk about people dying. That's terrible. I'm not. I'm excited about. I just I. I found this subject very fascinating and just the stories were interesting. And if you're listening to this, you already know what you're listening to. But tonight we are covering Death by Avalanche. Woohoo! So it's, you know, we're in the winter months. It's definitely avalanche season. I mean, yes, it was 75 degrees today. But other than that... (laughs) Well, it's going to be much colder on Saturday, so. It will be, yes. I'm looking forward to Saturday. <laughs> somewhere sure. it's winter and somewhere it's avalanche season, just That's not right. here. <laughs> for sure. And a lot of places, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just not in Texas. Yes. And I'm excited about your drink, too, tonight. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, let's get loosey-goosey. Um, there are a lot of of avalanche cocktails out there when i just put it into the googles (laughs) there were a lot of different recipes it was a little overwhelming because sometimes you can just kind of type in your word and you'll get one you're like oh this is perfect there were so many different recipes and some of them like they looked really gross and (laughs) thanks for not choosing one of those (laughs) i just wasn't feeling it one was basically a white russian but with crown royal instead of vodka and uh-huh. I was like, I guess I could do that. But then I came across... This one's pretty close to a right, right, white Russian, too. Right? This is Avalanche number two <laughs> from CocktailBuilder.com. Okay. And I saw this one and I was like, this sounds fantastic. And I have all of these ingredients. So Yes, that was the happiest thing yeah. about this drink. <laughs> having everything already in the house for it. <laughs> yes. So this is um, four ounces of vodka... Three ounces of Bailey's, three ounces of Kahlua, two ounces of chocolate syrup, 16 ounces of ice, and 16 ounces of milk. You put it all in a blender, you blend it, and you have a delicious, desserty type, boozy milkshake. Uh huh. You ready? Try it. Yes. Yes. Clink. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Mmm. That is quite Mm. milkshakey and boozy and delicious. Yeah, I might have I might have done this to myself. Did you I double mean, it? No, 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 no. Oh my gosh, this one made so much. So when I read much. that it was 16 ounces of milk, I was like cutting this in half. And it was still a huge blender full of, you know, of drink. So, I did not cut it in half. I thought, oh, it's just a little bit. I, 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 anyway, I don't know what I was thinking. And I started making it and I was like, oh, shit, this is not going to fit in my little single serve ninja that I was trying to make it in. And I was like, "Okay," I didn't want to get the blender out and I didn't want to deal with cleaning it. So I just poured half of it in the glass. I did it in two. Anyway, I gave Johan some, but um. yeah, I I left Ryan with with what's left. But um, (laughs) I, I think I I did a little too much Bailey's and I'm not a big Bailey's person. 
I mean, Ryan drinks Bailey's just on ice. So good. Oh. I know. I don't know what it is about Bailey's, but it's just I'm not huge. But it but it is very good. It does like taste like a boozy milkshake is perfect description. So this is another good one to try. I um enjoy Bailey's and I enjoy all of these liqueurs. Um I will say I'm gonna confess something. Okay. I used oat milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that was actually kind of nice though. I I mean, I can tell that there's oat milk in it, but it's fine. I still think it's good. Johan was really like, nope, that is not good. <laughs> oh, really? And it probably would have been a lot better with regular milk. But, you know, I'm getting older. I'm having trouble with the dairy. I have trouble oh, processing my. it. So Okay, let's talk about who died. Let's move on. <laughs> Death by lactose. Yeah, don't we We're not doing that? There. Okay, all right. Okay, you ready to get gruesome? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> So we're going to start off with some little facts and tidbits about avalanche. So there are three ways that an avalanche can kill you. Physical trauma, suffocation, and hypothermia. The survival techniques involve getting out of the avalanche before it stops, um, preventing total burial, and reducing the amount of time that the victim is buried. An avalanche can happen on any steep, snowy terrain, but certain conditions can help trigger an avalanche. Rising temperatures, wind, rain, um, and even lightning can trigger an avalanche. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. So according to How Stuff Works, virtually all avalanche safety courses will advise you to try to get away from the avalanche as soon as you realize what is happening. The mm-hmm. Forest Service National Avalanche Center advises skiers to ski off the slab and snowmobile drivers to try to outpace the avalanche. Call for help uh, one time so your party knows you're in danger, then close your mouth so snow doesn't block your airway if you can't get away from the avalanche. Um, can I ask a question? Uh-huh. This This might sound, I mean, you know. I, I didn't grow up in near the mountains. Um, uh-huh. def, definitely don't have any avalanche <laughs> training. Um, but do, is it a sound that you hear to know an avalanche is coming? Uh, there, people have reported hearing. It sounds like a gunshot. It sounds like an explosion. Oh wow! I think you do hear. I think you do hear a sound. But I mean, when we get to some of these stories, a lot of this information and things to do to get away from an avalanche are near impossible. Yeah, it just happens so fast. It happens right? so I mean, fast. So it's it's kind of funny. And I, you know, I was reading this first, and then I was reading all these stories, and I was like, "Well, this contradicts number one. This contradicts number three. So, yeah. So the hmm. the if you can't get an, away from an avalanche, one abandon ski equipment. It can drag you down and provide more torque okay. on your extremities, leading to broken bones. If your pack is light and has emergency equipment inside, keep it with you." Two, if you are thrown from your snowmobile, try to get away from the machine. Three, use swimming motions to fight your way to the surface of the avalanche. Four, try to grab nearby trees to get away from the snow. Five, as the snow slows, cup your hand or arm over your mouth so you will have an air pocket. Thrust any part of your body through the snow as it comes to a stop so rescuers can see you. I mean, I'm dead. I'm dead. No Totally, (laughs) right? No way I'm making it out of this. No. And (laughs) literally trying to picture myself swim up through the snow. (laughs) That's not happening. No. (laughs) I am under the snow, freaking the hell out Uh and dying. Well, (laughs) it's all going to happen. Six will be pointless. Wait for rescue. Stay calm. (laughs) Conserve oxygen. (laughs) Do not try to call for help unless you hear rescuers above you. (laughs) 
Aaron's dead. <laughs> I'm already dead. <laughs> Don't even bother looking for me. <laughs> Most sources say that a person who is completely buried can live for about 18 minutes. Even though snow what? is porous and contains <gasps> a lot of tra- trapped oxygen, victims breathe their exhaled air, causing carbon dioxide poisoning. Um, warm breath also snow- melts the snow, and it can refreeze as a solid, non-porous layer of ice that oxygen Shit. cannot easily penetrate. That's oh. the worst 18 minutes I can um, even imagine. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Because with even with a sizable air pocket that is open to the outside, you can avoid suffocation, but you still run the risk of hypothermia and shock. I'm, I'm hoping for shock at this point. Or just... Or death. Broken neck and just real Crushing. fast. Crushing, yes. Real fast, quick, over with. I mean, I oh guess my. I my, what I'd be hoping for is that I get rescued and stay alive, but... It'd be awful. Anyway, let's get into some of those stories. <laughs> yes, tell us. So these are some of the deadliest avalanches that have ever been recorded. Okay. And the deadliest one on record killed an estimated twenty to 30,000 people. <gasps> Whoa. I know, right? This was in 1970, the Wascaran Debris Avalanche. And that was, it took place in Peru. So on Sunday, May 31st, 1970, at 3.23 p.m., the Ancash earthquake struck off the coast of Peru with a magnitude of 7.9. The shaking dislodged a slab of rock about 2,600 feet wide from the western face of the Huascaran North Peak at an elevation of roughly 18 to 20,000 feet. The rockfall occurred almost immediately after the shaking began, with witnesses comparing the sound to a gunshot or an explosion, as I said. Yeah. The fall triggered an enormous dark cloud of dust, which rapidly rapidly blocked the view from below. A large oh chunk gosh. of ice and snow, 910 meters wide, which is about, a, uh, about half a mile wide, and wow. 1.6 kilometers, or one mile long, sped down the mountain at speeds of 280 to 335 kilometers per hour. Whoa. As it moved, it completely devastated all that came in its path with with its massive volumes of ice, water, mud, and rock alike. Oh, my gosh. Which is why they actually call it a debris avalanche, because it was so much more than snow and ice. It was the mountain. It was the mountain. And, And everything on it. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So with area soil saturated near the end of the rainy season and the large amount of snow and ice scraped off the glacier surface, the avalanche quickly liquefied into a fluid, fast-moving mud flow. I thought this was um, kind of crazy because they were saying that the mud flow, it um, f- was like it was um, like, a, like a hovercraft, like it was almost floating on air because it was going so fast going so and there fast. was just like this soft snow and then there's just going so fast there was like these air pockets underneath it. Wow. Was it was like hydroplaning. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Wow. Um so it the, the mud flow reached speeds of 270 miles per hour and it struck the village of Yungay, which was 8.1 miles from the avalanche ri- origin. Oh my gosh. It reached this village, an estimated one minute and 42 seconds oh. after the earthquake began. <gasps> Not a chance. No. Not, Not a, a chance. chance. Not at all. Um, in there, So there was actually another avalanche in this area in 1962. Uh-huh. And by comparison, it was smaller, 
but it still wiped out several villages and killed 4,000 people. Was this the same, you may not know this, the answer to this, but remember when we were growing up, like we learned about like the San Andreas Fault, mm-hmm. the fault line that's, you know, I don't know, that's the only fault line I know of that I ever learned about in school, but um, it was it the same thing there, like the same fault line, the same a common place for there to an earthquake to originate from? I like a, don't, you don't think know, so. Don't don't I think so. Okay. actually focused more on the 1970 earthquake and not so much on the 1962. But it was the same one, area, you think? It was. It was, it was the okay. Wascaran Peak. So it was oh, the it same was the mountain. same mountain? Yes. Oh, well, then it had to be, I'm guessing, the same fault line. I'm so, huh. But I don't know if it was triggered by an earthquake or if it was just an avalanche. I mean, oh, it was just very steep, mountainous, valleys, um, I don't know why when you said avalanche, I heard earthquake. Well, because but, an earthquake yeah. triggered this avalanche. Yeah, so. the, yeah, it triggered this the one in nineteen seventy. But you're saying you're not sure if it triggered. If that I was don't what think the an earthquake one. triggered this one. Right. Gotcha. Okay, carry on. Sorry. But this nineteen sixty two avalanche from the Wascaran Peak, um, the 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 area, the land, and the mountain was considered considered unstable after this. And people were concerned, but the government was like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. Oh, gosh. Everything's fine. Don't panic. Nothing to see here. Because oh, gosh. And then 20,000 people died? Go wrong. Exactly. Oh. Wow. And although the Yungay, the village Yungay, was located outside of the direct avalanche path, the slide was so large that it overwhelmed the National Geographic barriers protecting the town, whose location oh, had previously been considered safe. And the United States Geological Survey stated that conceivably such an event may not occur again for thousands of years. Conceivably. Uh-huh. Again. Yeah. Okay. So that <laughs> is in our lifetime of tracking yeah. geological geological events was just definitely one of the most intense and deadliest. That is that is that's astonishing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it, you know, the the government actually wanted to rebuild. And a lot of the town people said, nope. Or they wanted to move the capital and the town, you know, the, the surviving villagers kind of set up camp just north of the original village. And everything was gone except for there were some remains of a cathedral and a cemetery. Wow. And you can still see those today. And so they have like this whole... Um, sort of monument to the village. So they didn't repopulate that area. They did not, not that that specific area, but okay. they did stay close Interesting. by. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Our next avalanche uh, happened in 1916 in the Austrian-Hungarian barracks of Mount Mormoloda. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. So this was during World War One on the Italian front. And it is said that soldiers were setting off their firearms in an attempt to trigger an avalanche and bury their opponents. And wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it worked because it it triggered an avalanche. And I was reading a couple of conflicting stories, but it sounds like this set off first slide and it killed about 200 to 300 soldiers but it also triggered a series of avalanches and after that happened i i read one that said it was over a series of a few days and one that was over several weeks but uh-huh. regardless the total aftermath 
after all of these avalanches, the estimated death was uh, total was 10,000 people. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, yes, it was called White Friday, and I believe... White Friday. Mm-hmm, it happened in December, and I believe it was Friday the 13th. That, Ew. Um, I know. Spooky. <laughs> okay. Uh, our next disaster... Uh, happened in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan actually suffers a lot of uh, avalanches. So there is oh. a very mountainous region. Didn't and they do that. have a lot of avalanches, yes. And in uh, 2015, in the Panjshir province, there was an avalanche that killed about 300 people. In 2012, there was one that killed about 200 people. And this one, in 2012, was in the Badakhshan province. And the village that was affected was so remote that rescue forces were unable to reach their homes for two days. It it took them so long to get there. There really wasn't even a road to get into the village. So it just... Oh, my gosh. I know. It took a very long time to get there. Two days. mm -hmm. And so a lot of... You're way past your 18 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so a lot of it was not even... And that's, that's the other thing I feel like about, I mean, especially about that story. But like, if you only have about 18 minutes, aren't most of these happening in, in remote locations that are hard to access? Yeah, absolutely. But there are some crazy stories out there. Of rescues. So that's, yes, that's why I... Yeah, the 18 okay. minutes, I'm not quite sure where they got that from. I guess it's just sort of logistically... Yeah, that's that's, you know, how long you could survive. But there are a lot of people who survive longer. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's the small spaces thing that is getting me like about. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's mm, the claustrophobia. Yep. Yep. Totally. All right. In the winter of 1950 to 1951, it was called the winter of terror. It was a three month period. Uh, in the Austria-Switzerland border. It was along in the Alps, along the border between Austria and Switzerland. And in this three-month period, there were 649 avalanches. What? Yes. And it killed over 265 people and caused large amounts of damage to residential and other human-made structures. Oh, my gosh, why did that happen? Just a, a lot of snowfall? Yeah. I mean, what? It was just, yeah, it was just a bad, it was wow. It was just the winter of terror. It was just one of those they would the have. The winter of terror. You know, snowfall and then warmer weather and then maybe more snowfall or then wind. You know, it's just, I right. watched one video of an avalanche expert and, and she was sort of had this <clears throat> wall of snow and she was going through and she was poking her finger in and she was saying, you like, okay, I can stick, you know, my fingers going in all the way. Now it's not going in so much. And then you get to the bottom of this wall and it's like, my, I can stick my whole hand in. Like it was so oh, soft. It was just yeah. like this powdery soft snow on the bottom and then harder on top. So when you have that, you know, it's not, it's not strong. It's not going to hold the, it. The so, bottom isn't stable. Yeah. Right, the foundation exactly. of all that on top is not stable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just one of those winter, the winter oh weather climates is just unfortunately the perfect storm. Perfect conditions for mm-hmm. a disaster. Yeah. Yes. So one of the most dangerous avalanches in history 
in India happened in 1979. This was in the Lahore Spiti Valley in Humachal Pradesh. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Pardon me for not Sounds pronouncing it right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it, you know, this region faced excessive snowfall and ended up in an avalanche. So probably what we were talking about, it just right. had a lot yes. of snowfall and then maybe it got warm. And so sort of the top was icy and then it snowed again. But this disastrous landslide, which was the only occurrence in the Himalayas, resulted in deaths of 200 people who were submerged under 20 feet of snow. Oh, no. I know. I mean, Ugh. you're not 20 feet of snow. It, that is just... You're not getting out of that. You're not getting Holy out of that. Crap. That just... When I would hear these dimensions, it would just blow my mind. Ugh. And so when the... This is a gruesome question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so when the weather warms mm-hmm. and that 20 feet of snow is no longer there, mm-hmm. the bodies are just, that's when the bodies are discovered and buried. Sometimes. And, mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes re- a very long time to recover bodies. We will get there. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will cover that. Okay. Okay. Next up is in Blanz, Austria in 1954. This happened on January 11th in 1954 at 9.36 a.m. The first avalanche began, starting at the Flavkopf, and it struck the bronze village. Shut up. (laughs) I love that you're always so brave. Like, I come across these cities and stories, and I'm like, don't know how to say that. So I just say, like, you know, this happened in China. A city in Austria. A city in Austria. That's what I would be saying. In Austria. I love it. I love it. I love it. Good job. Keep going. Started at Flavkopf. (laughs) And it struck the village uh, just under 30 minutes later at 10 a.m. on the eastern side of the village. And it buried 82 people, killing 34 of them. A second avalanche began later that night at 7 p.m., starting from a different... uh, mountain and the second avalanche struck the center of the village of blondes where 43 people were buried and 22 people died this is horrible 16 people who were rescued from the first avalanche were later buried in the second avalanche Uh, uh, isn't that awful but this but listen to this some survivors of the blondes avalanches had been trapped for up to 17 to 62 hours that kind of blows oh. the 18 minutes out of the water, right? Sure does. That's a mighty big air pocket, I guess they were it's in. It's a very big air pocket. So, but 62 hours, oh my gosh. I don't know how you're not frozen to death or have died of hypothermia. I, I'm not I mean, quite sure. I mean, it's in a town but though, right? It, so they could have been trapped in their, in their home. House? It could have yeah. been. It absolutely yeah. could have. You could have been just trapped in your home. So I guess that is I mean, I, in my how mind, you could survive that long. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound like really naive, and I don't know what that um, alarm is, that stupid alarm, but it should be going off right now. Uh, I always thought of, I never thought a lot about avalanches, I guess, to Uh be honest, but when I didn't, you know, when it would flash through my mind, I think it was always like one or two people in on a, you know, hiking or somewhere, and an avalanche buries them, but I never thought about like whole entire towns and villages just... 
Well, I will listen to this. So the okay. population of blondes in 1954 had a total of 376 people and a third, 111 people were killed oh, in my. those avalanches. <sighs> Half of the men who worked at the Le Duc mine in the area were also killed. One woman who was cooking in her home at the time, the avalanche struck, she died from burns from coals in her oven. Oh my God. That hit her wow. and burned her in the impact. And then another man who had been found alive by a rescue crew after 17 hours later died of shock after finding out how long he had been buried in the snow. Stop. Are you serious? Yes. He survived the whole thing, and then they're like, man, you were buried for <laughs> 70, 72 hours, and he's like, keels over dead? <laughs> yes. I feel like that might happen to you. <laughs> you're like, you'd be like, what? I can't. <laughs> I know. Isn't that so terrible? <laughs> that is, that's, that, I did not expect you to say that. That is. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> That's a special kind of tragedy there. (laughs) I mean, it really is. So this one was not high on the list of fatalities um, for avalanches, but I remember this happening a few years ago, and so I just decided to cover it. Okay. Um, This was the Rigo Piano (laughs) avalanche (laughs) in Italy. Rigo Piano, Rigo Piano. Just very good Italian accent. I really enjoyed that. Don't at me if I totally butchered that. <laughs> anyway, on the afternoon of January 18th in 2017, a major avalanche buried uh, this four-star hotel in the Reggio Piano area of Abruzzo. It was reported that shortly after a series of earthquakes hit the region, many of the hotel guests were gathered on the ground floor of the hotel awaiting evacuation but the avalanche struck then and at this time there were 40 people in the hotel including 28 guests and 12 employees upon impact the avalanche caused part of the hotel roof to collapse and it moved it 33 feet down the mountain oh no yes so oh. it uh, it obviously this avalanche largely destroyed the resort and it yes. killed 29 people. A total wow. of 11 people were rescued following the avalanche, including two who survived the avalanche because they were standing outside the hotel when it hit. So one was a maintenance man and he was outside. And okay. another, and this is why I remember the story, was a man, he went out to his car he was with his wife and his two kids, and his wife had a headache, and he went out to the car to get her headache medicine. No. And he was in the car, and he survived. And he called his boss and was like, "I, my, my, we were at a hotel. It was just buried by an avalanche. He's like, can you send help? The boss then called the like a rescue unit. You know, uh-huh. called the authorities and they didn't believe him. And so the police were, the, they were, yes, there's a lot of controversy around this because they said that it took so long for rescue to come help them because their calls were not heeded. They thought they were, they just didn't believe them. Didn't so, believe them? I know. Who makes a false avalanche report? I, I, I have no idea, right? That's Why would you so say that? so bizarre. Why would you not? Yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, clearly all you have to do is try to call the hotel and you're not going to get through. <laughs> so. Yes. So overall. So wait, did, oh, so wait, hold on. Did his wife, so his wife died? Um, no. They, oh. uh, they survived. I do believe they survived. Oh, wow. His wife and his kid. There's a wife and a kid. Is that right? Um, Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, good. I feel I like I should s- follow up on that, but I fairly certainly survived. I thought for sure you were going to say that the wife and kid died. Well, it says overall five adults and four children trapped below the ruins and the snow were rescued. The last oh. ones after 58 hours having survived on frozen snow. Oh. Um, 10 out of 11 people rescued with minor injuries related to hypothermia. The 11th person also received a compression compression injury to his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Rescuers recovered a 12th body, but also located three puppies alive under Aww. the snow, indicating that 22 people missing may have still been alive. Oh, However, stop. it was later revealed that no one else survived the avalanche. One of the victims, as reported from a text message in her smartphone, survived over 40 hours. <sighs> yeah. Hmm. Okay, so those were some of the deadliest in history, except for the last one that I just threw in because I remembered that story. Yeah, okay. These are some of the deadliest avalanches uh, in the U.S. Okay, okay, here we go. Yes. In 1910 in Wellington, Washington, a severe blizzard dumped several feet of snow. I mean, like more than several, like 11 feet of snow in just a few days. And then it was followed by rain and warm winds. Oh, gosh. And this avalanche was actually triggered by lightning. And the avalanche was half a mile long and a quarter mile wide. And where this happened, this mountain where this avalanche occurred, a forest fire um, occurred on this mountain the year before. And so it basically wiped out all the trees. So there was nothing to impede this avalanche. Oh, my god! Nothing to stop it. And, it was like a smooth surface. It could just run all the way down. Right. And so wow. there was a railway, a railroad at the bottom. And because of the bad weather, there was um, some railway cars had stopped while the snow just because they couldn't go any further. And so there were several passengers, more than several. There were hundreds of passengers in the car sleeping when this avalanche hit. So they were all in their car. It destroyed two of the railway cars. It killed 96 people. And it, um, and it, some were passengers and some were railway workers. And this recovery, it took 21 weeks to finally recover oh all the bodies. Gosh. 21 I mean, you would, weeks. You would for sure think you were having a nightmare. Oh, my gosh. You If that's how you were woken up mm-hmm. by a... Oh, I mean, those weren't immediately killed, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, can you imagine sleeping? weeks. I know, yeah. So that was your question about how long it takes to discover. There you go. Bodies, 21 weeks for this one. Gosh. In 1898, the Palm Sunday avalanche happened in Alaska. So this was part of the Klondike Gold Rush. Hundreds of people moved to Alaska. What year did you say? 1898. Okay. And this was in the Chilkoot region. This was on Chilkoot Trail. And there was there were several camps. So there was um, the sheep camp and scales camp. And, you know, there were kind of camps along the mountain. And then there was the Chil- Chilkoot Trail. 
and it went over the mountain. And, you know, of course, people were, were looking for gold. But right. this, isn't there isn't there a scene in like White Fang? You remember that movie? From, like, from uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I saw that movie. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you gonna Scratch say? It. Okay. I don't I don't even know if I'm right. I'm I'm like the worst person about movies. Like I don't I you know I don't like I don't, I don't quote movies, I mean, unless I've seen them like 900 <laughs> times. Like, I'm not a movie person. But I thought in White Fang, he goes out for the gold rush. I thought he goes out there and there's like a scene where there's like a, there's a rope that's like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. attached by stakes in the mountainside. Uh-huh. And they're all sort of like cl- yeah. climbing hand over hand up this rope with their their ski shoes on, not ski shoes, but what do you, what do like you, snowshoes, like, uh, snowshoes, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. Um, going up the mountain, that's what I'm picturing in my mind, because they just have to go up and over, um, but it was, it was dangerous, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah no, there, I, there was a picture, and I mean, that's exactly what it looked like, it oh, was just okay. this one okay. single, like, this a single file of people, mostly men, just going over this trail, going over the yeah. mountain pass, but the Chilkut natives, we're like, no, we know this land. <laughs> we know this area. I'm not going past sheep camp because it is not safe. They they oh, knew they better. Knew it wasn't safe. They yeah. did. They knew better. And, you know, it, this was in April. So it was warming, warming up. There was still a lot yep. of snow, but it was starting to warm up. And the avalanches began on Saturday evening. And apparently they were not severe enough to cause any concern. But then early Sunday morning, a snow slide buried about 20 stampeders. And then at 9.30, three more were buried. And luckily, oh all gosh. of those people were rescued. And oh, that that does seem remarkable. Right. And But the all these snow slides and the rumblies, you know, convinced people, okay, we need to move back down the mountain. We should not mm-hmm. be going over this trail Let's make our way down. So about 150 people were making their way back down the hill from Scales Camp to Sheep Camp. And then the mountain gave way. And it just tumbled over most of the group. And this massive avalanche covered about 10 acres uh, with 50 feet of snow in some areas. So very devastating. Um, hundreds of stampeders rushed up from sheep camp to dig out their survivors. Some were brought out alive, but over 60 people could not be rescued in time. Said men and women worked for four days to dig out the bodies. And a lot of the men that were, you know, found and were deceased, nobody knew who they were. You know, they'd just come out mm. alone and they didn't right. have any family. And so they just never really know who to contact. So... I was just a little sad. Yeah. I mean, that again reminds me of White Fang. <laughs> <laughs> he was alone. He had to family. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember moving this. Moving on. <laughs> From White Fang. <laughs> uh, I don't remember this. We were only four when this happened. But in 1982, there was a major avalanche in Alpine Meadows. So this is in the Lake Tahoe area. And this was on March 31st. At 3.45 p.m., a large soft slab natural avalanche uh, released at the Alpine Meadows Ski Resort. And it 
uh, hit the Summit Chairlift Terminal, the building, the main ski lodge, several small buildings, and two chairlifts. And it buried the parking lot in 10 to 20 feet of snow. Holy. So the Summit Terminal building housed the ski patrol, avalanche control <gasps> headquarters, lift people. operations, ski school, and the main avalanche rescue cachet, which were completely destroyed. Oh, great. Perfect. And the day the lodge, um, let's see, the day the day lodge sustained superficial damage. The two chairlifts were co- extensively damaged and several small buildings were destroyed, as were several over the snow vehicles. So there were seven people that were in the summit building at the time of the avalanche and three of them were killed. Three were co- recovered alive almost immediately and one young woman was recovered alive after a five-day burial. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. four people were buried in the parking lot and were killed and altogether 12 people and one dog were the total victims of the avalanche seven of those were seven of the 12 people were killed and the dog survived oh the dog the the dog survived a one-day burial again that's the three puppies right from the other right i know yeah what do the dogs know that we don't know I don't know, but they do have um, they have avalanche dogs that they take on rescue. Oh, like to they fi- help to find them. Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. So there is actually a feature feature length documentary that is should be coming out soon. I think it's making the film festival circuit right now. I believe it started last fall, maybe October of twenty twenty one. And it's coming out in honor of the 30th anniversary. And it's called Buried, um, the 1982 avalanche disaster, something like that. (laughs) But it looks really, really, I was, I searched feverishly to see if this was out yet, but it's not. So I really would like to check it out because it's gotten a lot of accolades. Yes, highly, Um, very highly rated, a lot of lot of awards, um, a lot of accolades in the film festival circuit so far. So um, I will definitely be checking that out. You know, I'm really I'm really glad we're talking about this, especially at ski slopes, considering we're going skiing in March. (laughs) Uh, Where are you going skiing? Just just when the weather starts to warm up. Uh huh. Where where are you going? Are you going to New Mexico again? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Listen, only six people in the history of New Mexico have been killed in an avalanche. Sweet. So you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, you know, stay on the path. Don't, basically don't take any of, don't, backcountry. The backcountry. I, I always stay on the path. Then you're fine. You'd be fine. Yeah, I'll be good. Okay. So in 2013, there was an avalanche at Loveland Pass, which there are a lot of avalanches that have occurred at Loveland Pass. And so this one, I believe that actually. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah. There's a lot of backcountry there. And that is where a lot of these avalanches are happening. I'll get into a little bit of that later towards the end. Um, just kind of some thoughts and theories as to what's going on because there's definitely been an uptick in avalanches oh, really? and avalanche deaths over the last few years. Yes. Okay. So in 2013 in Loveland, on Loveland Pass, five experienced backcountry snowboarders were killed when a slide came upon them suddenly. Now, these men were educated. They had taken avalanche safety. They had safety equipment with them. They had meetings in the morning to look at the terrain, look at the weather report, to map out which way to go. I mean, this was not like, oh, these people just went out and they were being 
They weren't being safe. I mean, these were skilled, experienced snowboarders. And it just happened so fast. Too fast. It, just ha- so it fast. just was there. And there was un- there was one survivor. And oh, of the five mm-hmm. of the five snowboarders? Oh. Well, no, there were six total, so five were oh, killed okay, and one okay, survived. Okay. Um, oh my god, that's yeah. probably some serious survivor's probably guilt has, there. Yes, very serious survivor's <sighs> guilt. Um, but he was saying he was one of the victim's wives, he was like, I was trying to shield her from comments because people were making comments like, oh, they shouldn't have been there. They didn't know what they're doing. They're just... People are so awful. Right. And just... And criticizing him. And he was like, no, we... You know, and it's just... They were skilled. They knew what they were doing. You know? They did did everything they could do. They did everything right. Yes. Everything they could possibly do to make sure that a tragedy like that wouldn't happen. And it happened anyways. Because... uh As we all know now at this point, yes. episode 21, <laughs> right? freaky shit happens. Exactly. That you can't yep. control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was just a, almost a year ago in February of 2021 at the Mill Creek Avalanche in Utah. And I'm going to tell you pretty in, in some pretty great detail what happened because there is some great detail about this one. This was from snowbrains.com, and they cover a lot of very detailed information on avalanches. Okay. And so this happened, in, like I said, February of last year. So there were two groups. Group A was four people. Chris, I'm sorry, five people. Chris, Sarah, Luis, Thomas, and Steve. And group B was Nate, Ethan, and Steph. So they were they were going up separately, and they were sort of hiking up this this terrain there was this was not a chairlift accessible mountain that you could ski so they They were were sort of they were hiking Mm up and when they got to the top steve had actually stopped he was just taking a breath and he was just kind of hanging out while everyone did another lap so he was actually above the avalanche line when it happened oh poor steve uh well, no, good for him. I mean, good for him. No, I, I told. I always told you the one I the one I don't want to be is the one that survives. Well, <laughs> so poor just, Steve. <laughs> yeah. So, but okay, he, okay. he did good a lot of good going. things. Sorry, I had to take a sip. Okay, yeah. so Ethan and Nate had stopped, sort of downhill, and they stopped to wait for Steph to catch up. And then they looked up and they saw a wall of snow, just descending down the mountain, and they had only been stopped. It's estimated about 15 to 30 seconds before they saw the avalanche, and all three were caught and fully buried. Um, Sarah, Thomas, and Lewis were swept downhill in the avalanche. Chris lunged for a tree and hit it so hard that the wind was knocked out of him, but he was able to hang on to the tree. Um, He said he felt immense pressure while the avalanche swept over him. He saw nothing but blackness for two to three seconds. Both his skis were ripped off his feet. And he was left hanging in the tree above the bed surface after the avalanche passed. And they make a note. They say it is very rare that people actually hang on to trees like yeah. Chris did. So this is one of those safety, one of the tips in the beginning was says try to hold on to a tree. But, but it's I like, feel like unless your back is perfectly right, to the exactly. force. Unless you're, you're, not, you're facing downhill. Right. Unless you're you're like hugging the tree and the avalanche is coming at your back. And just you're going not, over you, yeah, you're, you're not, not going to be able to hold on to that tree. No. 
So Steve, you know, he was above the avalanche start. So he was up there. And so when Chris kind of came to, he dropped out of the tree and he screamed for Steve. And he screamed for Steve to come down. And so Chris turned on his transceiver and because they all had some safety devices with them, you know, typical um, safety devices, the transceiver, um, shovels, poles, and some people use avalanche airbags, which if you have time to deploy them, you pull it and it's supposed to kind of help lift you, keep you as far to the surface, like as close to the surface as you can. I was going to ask you about these little mm-hmm. avalanche, like, backpack airbag mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So I don't know if any I, – I don't think any of them had the airbag. I, I'm not sure. It didn't really say. But they clearly had their um, receivers and their shovels and some poles. So Chris turned his transceiver on, um, and he began receiving some signals. And so they went downhill, and he and Steve went downhill and started looking for people. So Steve heard yelling and skied down um, as Chris was acquiring the first transceiver signal. Chris followed the signal to the lowest number and deployed his avalanche probe. His probe stuck a person on the first strike, and both Chris and Steve started wow. digging. They dug about four to six feet deep, expecting to find a member of their group, but they discovered um, Nate, who was in um, the group of three. Uh-huh. And he was unconscious, unconscious, but he was breathing. And as he came to, they told him to get out a shovel and to turn off his receiver. So he did. So then Chris and Steve started, um, let's see, they started to uncover Ethan, who was buried about two feet away from Nate at the same depth. And by this point, Nate had recovered enough to really start being able to help, you know, shovel. He was with it now. Um, They found Ethan unconscious, but he was breathing and uncovered him enough to turn off his receiver. And Ethan remained unconscious, but breathing. And so they left him partially buried. His skis were still anchored to his feet. um, Mm -hmm. And he was suffering from hypothermia. So he was he was not in great shape, but he was alive. Yeah, this (sighs) killed me. Next, they located Uh Sarah, Chris's significant other. She was under two to four feet of snow, and she was not breathing, and she did not have a pulse. So Chris started CPR on her and chest compressions. And so Steve and Nate began searching for the next people. And they continued on, and they found Lewis, Thomas, and Steph, and none of them had a pulse. And eventually Chris left Sarah, and they attended to Ethan, and... They had called 911 and they'd called rescue. So, you know, at the very beginning, they had done this. So, I mean, these guys. They did everything right. They were. That's that's pretty. I mean, it's it's amazing that they could keep themselves collected, deploy all their safety devices, like you said, yeah. so efficiently, mm-hmm. so expertly. I mean, they were true heroes and just doing what they could. You know, it it's. Yeah, the four people, I mean, I mean, it sounded like they were probably killed instantly. You know, they it, yeah, it just sounded I, like, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't fast. You know, you can't do anything in skis and snow and nothing really fast happens. But I don't think there was anything they could have done for those four. But, you know, they, they were true heroes that day. And they were airlifted by helicopter at the end of the day. Ugh. But unfortunately, 
it just became so late in the day and the sun was going down. They had to come back the next day for the four bodies to recover them. So they had to leave the four bodies on the mountain overnight. I mean, at some point, it's not safe for the rescue oh, yeah, crew. No. And it's like, why lose more people right. trying to get people out of there that are on alive anyways? You yeah, know? yeah, it's not. So it was just, yeah, very, very somber. Ugh. Very somber. What, um, a hor- what a horrible, horrible day. For- horrible. But yeah. I was really intrigued by that story just because it was such detail. I mean, and if you go to this um snowbrains.com so i mean it's a full report i mean they have maps you can look in the mountain you can see where they are you can see where it started they have pictures um not necessarily of of them but they like show you where the victims were like how far apart they were how far in they were it's very very detailed so it was just why why did they map all of this who who was it that did this was it one of the survivors that just needed to no i think it's it, um or? it's like they they cover avalanches and and they work with the u.s the the forest service so they oh, just want to learn about to avalanches and, and study and try oh, to yeah. prevent others it's just about okay, safety okay. Okay. rescue gotcha. prevention um just overall information so um but it's just it's very it's like really fascinating it really is it's just it's just a lot it's a lot of information um but i just you don't see that a lot you don't hear a lot of those stories like in such great detail so um anyway i found it interesting but very yeah <sighs> um okay we're coming to the end <laughs> i know there's been a lot of avalanches talked i've had a lot of stories here That's um good. let's see in idaho i believe this is silver mountain idaho in january of 2020 um three were killed and four were injured and this was an inbound so not backcountry not out of bounds black diamond run called 16 to 1 um, and w- one of the survivors, his name is Bill Fusak. He was injured, but he survived and said that he survived by punching an air pocket in the snow between the first and second slide. So he was unconscious and he had blue lips when he was found 50 minutes after the avalanche buried him. Wait, before, between the first and second slide? So I think there were two slides. So I think there was like kind of one slide and then, you know, another one came up. After him. So he punched an air pocket in that in that first mm-hmm. after that first one happened. Yeah. Um wow. he said when they unburied me after fifty minutes, I shouldn't have been alive. I got lucky because I had the air pocket that I made, but without their efforts, none of it none of us would have made it. Um except for another uh another victim who was partially buried but was also rescued. How do they find people? I mean, I know the receiver you were talking about, but like, they do a lot that. of um, helicopter rescue and they do um, thermal imaging. And so they look That's for... what I was wondering. Okay. I was wondering if they were doing thermal imaging. I was mm-hmm. like, how do they go over a white mm-hmm, right? you know, mess below you yeah. and find anybody else? Yeah, so they do that. They, they have they have the dogs. I talked about the avalanche dogs. Um, and you know where they look if, if you are able to not be buried so deep and you can put your arm up or you can use one of your your um a ski ski or something your ski or pole or, or one yeah. of your safety mm-hmm. poles it like you know folds up and then you can stick it out the snow just let someone know you're there um most of them i think extend about 10 feet so but if you're mm. buried 20 feet it's not gonna Wouldn't do have any good. some of these people Mm-mm. but wow um so the 2020 and 2021 season was one of the deadliest in the u.s for avalanches and there are a lot of thoughts about it um i think i feel like i knew this yeah yeah i I came across this somewhere i think because i weren't they kind of wasn't some of the speculation that it might have been because 
of COVID, people were outdoors more? It, that is definitely one. A lot of people think they just, they had to get out. They wanted to just, you know, be out in nature, be away right. from people. Um, a lot of speculation is that it's younger, inexperienced people. But there were actually a lot of older victims who were very skilled and very experienced who've been doing this, you know, for 30 mm-hmm. years plus, you know, more than that. And, but on, you know, to add to that, they think, well, maybe these people had taken the avalanche safety course many years ago and, you know, they really need to take it again. And just, there's a lot of new information out there. There's new safety guidelines, there's new techniques, there's new warning systems. Um, So maybe if you'd taken safety courses, but it's been 20 years, you know, so they think maybe, maybe that's part of it. Um, So they were experienced, but they were educated a long time ago and they had no actual avalanche experience, like real life avalanche experience probably, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's certainly Mm -hmm. not all of the victims, um, but um, most of them it was in that country. And, you know, they, there's a big article um, on outside online and in the Colorado Sun talking about it. And they're like, you know, we, we want to have be this welcoming community and we want to welcome people. But they're like, so many people are coming out and so many new people. And there is so much gear that's for this backcountry trekking that maybe gives a false sense of security. So people might think, oh, I have the avalanche airbag. I'm fine. But Mm. it's like, you know, okay, that's great. But if you don't know how to look at the warning signs for an avalanche, that's not going to do you any good. And if it comes up really suddenly, it's not going to help you. So, you know, again, there's a lot of a lot of speculation. And that's just one that maybe this all this kind of high tech gear is giving people a false sense of security. Yeah. Hmm. Um, So we are in January. It's January 13th. 13 days into 2022. And Mm -hmm. in Colorado alone, there have already been three avalanche deaths. One was just a couple of days ago. It was actually on Hoosier Pass, just south of Breckenridge. So very familiar with that area. Um, It was two people who were snowshoeing with their dog. And all three of them were killed by an avalanche. And yeah, that was, I mean, just very is recently. It a, is it the, the sort of warming trend that we're in? I mean, is that, do they think climate change has anything to do with? it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, that definitely is a rabbit hole you can go down <laughs> about that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of rabbit or holes you can go down. They don't really downhill. know why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other, the third gentleman, he was 54 from Fort Collins. And he died in an avalanche near Cameron Pass in Jackson County. And that was just Colorado. I that was just in Colorado. That was I was just my last my last story because I just heard about the Hoosier Pass one. Um so I looked it up. But um there are a lot of avalanche deaths out there. Definitely kill more people than sharks. Um in the US alone, it's about, you know, 40, 30, 30 to 40 people a year. Wow, gosh. I know, Ooh. isn't that just, uh, yeah. Does Colorado, ha- is there a state that has the the highest number of avalanche deaths? I mean. Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, definitely was. Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I know New Mexico, <laughs> because I looked, I saw Colorado was the highest. The lowest, which I thought was really interesting, was New York. New York had like four or five. 
Huh. It's not a place you would think of as having a- avalanche deaths. No, but I know. I mean, they. I mean, I they have you, mountains and ski resorts yeah, you there. Can, so you can sure, ski there. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Anyway. So that is death by avalanche, and I will tell you my sources. So I found my drink at cocktailbuilder.com. Of course, Wikipedia, you know, always Ooh. providing you with the list of deaths and where and how many. <laughs> uh, Smithsonian National Postal Museum. Snowbrains.com, if you really want to do a deep dive into some avalanche and, you know, geek out on snow information, check them out. <laughs> Um, OutsideOnline.com, ColoradoSun.com, Summit Daily, and HowStuffWorks.com. Awesome. Well, that was a good one. I liked that one a lot. That was, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe, I don't know, just because I love the mountains. It's been a long time since I skied, but it just, I don't know. It was just, it was easy to throw myself into this one. Yeah, I felt good to do a winter one too, like you said. So yeah, it's good. We're in winter. Yeah. Excellent. Well, people, don't forget, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, (laughs) Drinks With Death Podcast. Okay? Email us, drinkswithdeathpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear you. And please follow us, subscribe, rate, review, whatever. You know, do all the things. Yes. You know, stay safe. When you are skiing, be very careful on those backcountry runs. Go with an experienced guide. Or just stay on the in inbound runs. And I guess okay. I have the avalanche pole. I feel like that was something I did not know about. I don't know how I knew about the backpack. Uh, yeah, the airbag. The airbag, but I didn't know about the pole. <laughs> I feel like the shovel might be a little more um, oh, useful than the your... pole. I mean, I guess I, the pole I, I just, is good I for them. I just want someone to know I'm there <laughs> and come and get me. How about a shovel and a pole? They both fold. You can get very small, compactable shovels. <laughs> yeah, those are what those guys had, right? That yep. saved those people. So yep. shovel and a pole. All right, well. I'll throw up some historical images on the social meets um, when this is out. So check well, it thanks, out. Well, thanks, Lovin. That was very um, informative. With the drink was very delicious. I do feel like I need to go curl up in a cozy bed right now. Right? Get myself to sleep. <laughs> belly full of a delicious drink. I know, right? Yeah. All right. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Erin. Love you. Love you guys. Bye.